This is the Ed Milet Show. Welcome back to Max Out, everybody. Long story behind this, but like legit, I've chased this woman for probably a year. And I just, I got enough people to gang up to make her do this that I've convinced her to come on the show. But she's a remarkable woman. Like I'm a legitimate fan of who I think she is from observing her from a distance and from our mutual friends. She's a, a writer, an actress. I think primary career you have to say is comedian. She's a producer. She's a podcaster, and uh, but she's super interesting. And so I'm so glad Whitney Cummings is on Max Out today. Welcome, Whitney. What an honor. How nice. Fine. What is this? I don't know. I think it's just about the chase for you. I'm an enigma to you. You want what you can't have. I can't be this great. I can't have. Well, <laughs> at least I have it for an hour today. By the way, I think if you're, if you're on audio, she's got pink hair today, mm-hmm. and I'm reading about you because it's obviously your IQ kind of shines through. You're Ivy League educated. Yes, sir. Why, no, okay, you want your fans to hate me? Why no. open with this? No, I, I think it's an interesting, I don't know, duality that, you know, you're able to do comedy. You're obviously, <laughs> some people think you're very pretty and you so I'm a married man, so I say it that way. Uh, <laughs> but like, I'm like, her IQ's through the roof. It's obvious the way that you communicate about things. This, this interview today, guys, isn't going to sound like you're just talking to a comedian. You're going to, this. when I say just a comedian, I just mean there's such depth to you. But then I'm researching, I'm like, she, she went to Penn, for God's sake. She's Ivy League educated. This is starting to make sense. So. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think a lot of what I've achieved is because people just had such a low standard for me. That is, a no. big, that is a big part of success. Just make sure the bar is so low that you're always going to exceed it. Well, I have a huge bar for today. So let's step up here. So I, I was reading about you, and it's weird. Like You just feel like you connect with people. And I grew up in an uh, alcoholic family, my dad. And I have this theory, my first job out of college after I got released from playing baseball, I worked at a group home, like an orphanage for boys. And I developed, all my boys were all wards of the court. So their, their parents were either dead, incarcerated, or had probably like molested them. And I had this, developed this theory by working with my boys that people that come from a certain level of dysfunction, I think our eyes are a little different. Like we just want to be loved and believed in and cared for. Everybody does, but maybe we want it a little bit more and we link achievement to doing that too, I think sometimes. But your upbringing is not all that dissimilar. So just give people context to maybe a little bit about your upbringing, which might explain a little bit of the other parts of your life. Well, I just want to say really quick a response to that because, um, you know, you're being so authentic and vulnerable and your fan base, you know, must obviously respond and relate, uh, which is why they're, you have such a rabid um, fan base. But yeah, I mean, I think if you worked hard for approval when you were young, you work hard the rest of your life. You know, it's kind of, um, I used to look at growing up in an alcoholic home as, you know, I was a victim and poor me. And, you know, I now look back at an alcoholic, just, you know, as you said it, I felt the need to clarify alcoholism. You know, we say in order for alcoholism to be present, alcohol doesn't always have to be present. Addiction shows up in many different ways, where it's a mom that's obsessed with cooking or cleaning, or if it's an obsession with making making Christmas perfect, or if it's a love addiction or a drama addiction, or a, you know, parents fought alcoholism. Sometimes people think that they had to like see a whiskey bottle for alcoholism yeah. to be present. So you saying dysfunction, I think was, you know, important, but um, uh, so that people don't feel like, oh, I think I had chaos, but I didn't. Ha-. A lot of people yeah. like to minimize their trauma or experience because there wasn't 
uh, a, a drunk in the house. Yeah. Um, we can be drunk on rage. We can be drunk on control. We can be drunk on uh, perfectionism. We can be drunk on anxiety and all sorts of things. Another person, a behavior, you know, we see it now with social media addiction shows it's, um, you know, uh, we can be addicted to a lot of things besides just actual alcohol. So it, t- it took me a while to yeah. understand that because I didn't see a lot of alcohol growing up. Uh, I didn't realize I grew up in an alcoholic home until much later. I just thought my parents fought a lot. I just thought they were, um, you know, uh, like that. I just thought my mm. mom went to bed at 6.30. I, I like, I, you know, really? it's, it's, a, it's a kid, you don't understand what's happening, you know, you, and, yeah. and, and we're amazing. Our brains are amazing. You know, I know you had Dr. Huberman on about, um, uh, and talked about uh, brain plasticity. Like we yep. can adapt to a f- crazy situation very quickly yeah. and we can make up our own narrative about what's happening. Mom's yeah. tired. Mom has a headache. Like what, we don't know what alcoholism is when we're yeah. five. We believe yeah. our parents, they're heroes, you know? So, um, but I, when you grow up in an alcoholic home or a dysfunctional home, you end up having to work a little bit harder uh, to get attention. You end up having to be funny. You end up having mm. to pretend you're sick or pretending you're hurt or mm. taking risks or being loud or all these sort of um, uh, maladaptive uh, behaviors. Sometimes they're called character defects. I like to call them superpowers because I, as I get older, I'm like, God, I, I have all these freaking tools and weapons and superpowers that a lot of people don't have. Um, and so, I don't know, I'm one of those adversity is good people. That's incredible you say that. I got interviewed on Friday and I said, it, it just occurred to me at almost 50 years old that these are actually, I use the word superpowers of mine. Superpowers. And I think you talk about anxiety. I don't know if you agree with this or not, but like, there's all this notion, like you should avoid all anxiety, avoid all stress. And I think there's an element that you should avoid some of it, but also these things are like signals for growth, signals for improvement. They're like catalysts for change too, right? Like I don't want to have a life completely devoid of stress, completely devoid of anxiety. It's kind of like, I think the contrast of emotions makes life a little bit richer or do you like totally disagree with that? No, I mean, no, we're brats. We're total brats. And there's this uh, war on anxiety as if it's something we should get rid of and cure and fix. And yes, there are legitimate anxiety disorders. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I've seen it. I have someone in my family that has a debilitating, can't get out of bed. Anxiety disorder requires medication. That's not what we're talking about. Like this thing of, I should never have anxiety, you know, we say in, um, you know, I'm not an AA, I'm an Al-Anon, but in 12-step programs, we say alcoholics are the only people that believe they deserve to be happy all the time, that they should be having fun all the time. Like that's <laughs> this. And I think we're all like these petulant children now who are like, I should never have anxiety or fear. Yeah. Like anxiety and fear are why our species has prolif- have proliferated. It keeps us safe. Anxiety, this is our friend. Anxiety gets us out of bad situations, gets us out of bad relationships. It's our, on one hand, people don't realize how hypocritical they are when they talk about this stuff. They'll be like, trust your gut. I, I, get away my anxiety. It's like, they're the same thing. Your mm. gut anxiety that is your gut speaking to you it's important Mm. information you know anxiety Mm. motivates us it moves us like you just said um it informs us it tells us whether someone's good for us or bad for us whether we should lean into a situation or lean out of a situation so and also sometimes i think people conflate conflate anxiety and excitement anxiety and nervousness there are a lot of things that we should absolutely be anxious about right now you know like it'd be weird if we weren't Mm -hmm. like we'd be numb zombies like Mm -hmm. um we have this new petulant thing where we never think we should be uncomfortable. Like 
It's yeah. a healthy reaction to be anxious about money. Like you should be, if you're not, then you're delusional. That's worse. So mm -hmm. if you have $10 in your, if you just overdrafted your bank account, you should feel anxiety. <laughs> yeah, right. You right. Should, if you don't, then you're delusional. So I would rather ha have anxiety than delusion. <laughs> See, you're the first person I heard say that. It was in an interview I was watching of yours, and I'm like, that's 100% true. But I'm curious, because you're always really, you said, I'm going to be authentic on today's show. And I like to think I am most of the time, too. And, and it's weird when it's sometimes when I am vulnerable, because people do come to me for help in these areas, like they do you too. Sometimes you, you sometimes feel like, I wonder if I'm sharing too much stuff. And but for me, I watched you say something and it hit me because I don't know that I've broken this completely. You said, I think I was almost like unconscious in my 20s, yeah. meaning like, you know, you're and I'll let you explain what you meant by it. But in my version of it is like, I've always just been going. And I thought, you know, I teach people all these tools. I thought, like, am I really over that? Like, am I still as present and as conscious as I could be? And I think a lot of achievers listen to my stuff or at least want to be achievers and they're addicted to this. Yeah. You know, one of the things Huberman probably said on your show too is like, turns out you get more dopamine in the pursuit of something than you do when you achieve it. So this notion that I have to keep getting things. But for me, it was like, if I can get there and then this next one, this next one, this next one. And I look back now and I always want to say to people because I'm one of the older people now in the space, like I wasn't present enough. I did not enjoy the ride as much as I could have. What changed for you if it did in your 30s that you didn't do in your 20s? Uh, um, you know, for me in my twenties, I was unconscious, you know, I was a complete puppet of fear and workaholism and, um, I was a little bit of a zombie, you know, uh, I thought the only thing, uh, you know, I equated, you know, productivity with my self-worth. I derived yeah. my self-esteem from productivity. Still do, just the motives are a little cleaner. You know, mm -hmm. it, was a, it was when I was in my 20s, uh, I didn't know how to measure twice, cut once. I was working 10 times as hard, not working smart. I just wanted to keep busy because I was in pain and mm -hmm. I was so desperate to make it. I was so desperate for approval. I was so desperate to be loved that I was just a sort of um, unconscious, like Tasmanian devil, just like, am I this person? Am I this person? You know, um, running from whether it was relationship to relationship, job to job. Um, I also was just grew up without money. I didn't have money. So I was also mm -hmm. just trying to make money. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, I think it is, who was it was saying that, um, your IQ goes down when you're worried about money, Al, uh, Andrew Yang, who I think you're having on soon. Um, yes. and I don't know who did the study, not a scientist, but when you're worried about money, your IQ does go down. Um, mm -hmm. so I also wow. was so scared of mon uh, not having money, but also at the same time spending irresponsibly and, um, <laughs> you know, had a shopping addiction and all that. So I, I, I personally, um, uh, you know, <laughs> I know people are going to make fun of me in the comments. <laughs> I do identify as an addict. I know I say that on every podcast. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to be going like, this is just how women are. This is just how, you know, people that grew up in alcoholic homes are like, I, I very much identify, um, as an addict. So I was, I was very addicted to drama. I was in mm -hmm. bad relationships. I was cheating. I was recreating my childhood circumstances subconsciously. I was recreating uh, that wow. familiar pain, you know, yes. who is it that said I'd rather have familiar pain than unfamiliar comfort. Like yes. I, I, I would, you know, I grew up in chaos. I grew up with adrenaline and cortisol. I 
Yeah. You know, you know when you see people that are just like in dramatic things and you're like, how, how is that enjoyable to them? It is. It's a drug. Adrenaline turns into dopamine. It feels good. Yes. And I didn't know serenity. I didn't know calm. And, wow. you know, there was this one quote that I, um, uh, I'm going to pretend I'm smarter than I am. <laughs> Flo, does Athena want to look this up? Flaubert. Flaubert was a philosopher who said, be serene in your personal life so you can be violent in your work, wow. I want to say. Wow. I thought my life had to be chaotic to like be a good artist. I mm -hmm. thought I had to like, you know, for life to imitate art, your life has to be wild so that your art's wild. Like I just had this really romanticized um, idea of like, I actually now know that the most successful people are the most boring fucking people that <laughs> so have the most regiment. And I look at you and like, I, as I was doing some research on you and I'm like, of course he's been married forever. And is in a really, of course, because you cannot be on dating apps all day and be chasing women and being in acrimonious relationships and like fighting with people and throwing phones across the room and achieve what you've achieved. Mm. So I hadn't learned, I associated success with chaos. Mm. I was like, Oh my God, all these like famous actors and directors, they, you know, and actresses, they have 10 husbands and they, you know, cheat on their, in their, I thought chaos was sexy and glamorous mm -hmm. and that's what success was and there's that addiction too i'm really glad you're willing to say this stuff because i've been writing a lot lately i'm trying to figure out what i want to write about next but one of the things i've been writing about is this addiction we have you can really operate out of two patterns in your life you can operate out of what i call like imagination or memory history or vision and the, when you're young, when you're a child, you operate out of the imagination pattern more often because you're exploring new things, you're imagining, you're dreaming. And the more you begin to collect memories and have history, the more you begin to operate. It's kind of like reading. You don't actually read words. Your mind is remembering reading it before and it imprints this pattern. Well, like grownups do that. And if you're not aware of it, like most people live most of their life out of memory and not imagination. They repeat the same patterns, the same cycles to your point, like of these emotions, it's like heroin. It's like, I'm going to find a way to get my anxiety. I'm going to find a way to get my chaos. And you create these external situations that give you these memorable patterns in your life that are your home. But I'm really curious about you because I watch you and it still seems to me like you work incredibly hard. Are you happy now? Like a, <laughs> Great question. But yeah. I, can I just say really quick, I love yeah. what you're saying because it took me so long to, because I had this story about myself when I was mm -hmm. younger um, that no one understood me and that I was different than everyone because I, I and, you know, I had an older sister that kind of was cooler than me and, and I felt rejected by, I was the youngest, which a lot of us overachievers are the youngest. And we had to sort of shape shift and find our way into, uh, being seen in an already established system. Mm. Uh, we had to be unctuous, uh, to narcissists to get attention. We had to be useful to get attention. Yeah. That was yeah. a big thing. Um, we had to be sick to get attention. I learned really early on if I was sick or injured, I got attention. Mm. Um, we had to be too thin to get attention um, mm. for all the women listening. Or we had to, you know, I found um, when I had an eating disorder and I started starving myself, everyone was like, are you okay? And I was like, ooh, this works. Like this, you know. You know so really examining the things that worked when you were younger that got you attention and the things you're still subconsciously doing that you think you need to do in order to get love, money, sex or whatever it is that you um, yeah. think you want. Um, am I happy now? 
Um, I, the word happy, I'm so neurotic. The word happy freaks me out a little bit because I don't, you know, again, Al-Anon's, as I identify codependents, we are um, uh, sort of emotionally dyslexic. We feel alive mm-hmm. in a time of crisis. Yep. And when things are calm, we are anxious because we are always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Yep. When things are going well, we have a Damocles sword hanging and we're yep. like, oh, when's that? So, yeah. you know, and fun feels like work for us. We're the ones that go to the wow. party. <laughs> We're the ones that go to the party and just want to like clean up. We're the ones that are just cleaning up because fun feels like pressure and we're perfectionists and we're like, I'm not having enough fun. I'm not having fun the right way. How am I like, I'm the person at the wedding. That's like, I just document, I just take pictures and video because I, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't really, yes, I feel, I don't, I can't get massages. I, I, I feel like I'm performing for the person and I don't want to disappoint them by not, I, not being relaxed enough. Like I'm constantly analyzing how good of a job I'm doing at fun or relaxation or whatever. We're overachiever uh, um, sort of spirits who, and yeah. I love us and we're amazing and we are great inventors and everyone listening to your podcast are going to mm. solve all the problems that are currently in the news because they're listening to mm. you and never lose that. And mm. I, I am not an anti-perfectionist um, unless it's making your life unmanageable and actually ends up being debilitating. But, you know, I have a hard time with the happiness thing because I don't, I don't know what it's supposed to look like. And I never think I'm doing a good enough job. Like I have a hard time at parties because I'm like, am I, ha- like, am I supposed to be the life of the party? Like I need to know my role. Um, and so I, I like to say fulfilled uh, instead of happy because it. fulfilled and, and proud that that's mm. where I derive my happiness from. Mm. Uh, I get, um, full from acts of service and acts of completion and from yeah. productivity, right? So mm. if productivity and cooperation makes dopamine, I am very yeah. unoriginal. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to rescue a dog. I needed to get it out of the shelter, find it a home, put it in the home. I'm happy. Like I mm. need completion. Hmm. And I know that about myself. Like I need the beginning, middle and the end. So I won't be happy until the task is achieved. So I know that about myself though. So Hmm. I know that if I'm going to exercise, I I don't do as good of a job as you Hmm. clearly. Hmm. Um, I know that if (laughs) I go, if I go to work out and I don't have uh, something I want to achieve, I'm going to feel like shit after. So if I just go to the gym and I'm like walking on the treadmill and kind of checking my phone and kind of like do a couple sit-ups and kind of lose track of what I'm doing. And afterwards <laughs> I'm like, oh God, I'm such a piece of shit. I don't, and you know, when you don't know if you've accomplished the goal or not. Yes. But if I go in and say, I'm going to do a hundred push-ups, a hundred sit-ups, a hundred squats, a hundred, whatever. And I do them all. I feel good. Yeah. I feel happy because I, I have proof that I should be happy and that I've completed the thing. Yeah. So I know how my brain works and I know that I need proof that things mm. are going well to think mm. things are going well. <laughs> no, it makes those, I got to tell you, like the healthy thing about this is I think you're somewhat, I think you prove a little bit like self-awareness is such a huge thing in life because a lot of the negative things about ourselves, when we become aware of them, it loses its, our, its power over us and we can kind of start leveraging them to our benefit. Like to your point earlier, instead of letting them go. Like one of the things I try to, I teach, I think I do well the older I've been getting, is I teach a concept called blissful dissatisfaction, which means people conflate two things. Achievers think, if I 
enjoy this, I'm going to lose all my ambition and drive. That's like my recipe is I just don't enjoy things and I'll keep achieving because they think happiness and satisfaction are the same thing. They're completely mm -hmm. different. Yeah. And then other people think I'm going to delay this bliss until a certain destination, but they keep moving the destination. So I think ultimate thing is, and I'm that way too, it has to be definable for me. It can't be just like, yeah, I did something. Mm -hmm. But I was, I, you have this great movie, The Female Brain. Oh. And the, I want to talk to the women. My audience is probably about, I think it's about 58, 42 women. And cool. women, you almost have a bigger responsibility to some extent to understand these things and begin to work on them because you're making other humans. And, <laughs> and but I was reading some of your stuff. You guys on, make them too. You, well, you carry them. And yeah. you and you have a lot to do with epigenetic imprinting, and that's the difference. And yeah. so I want you to talk a little bit about that concept because this is something it's it, not a lot of people are aware of. Even the neuroscientists that have been on my show, it's not something a lot of them talk about. But it's a real thing. Because I, I'm gonna, be, can I be really just yeah. direct? And yeah. I'm not a scientist again. I'm a yeah. comedian because most of the fucking scientists are men, and they don't right. study women's shit. They want to yep. study their own shit. And I think people forget that scientists and doctors are human beings with biases, and they study what's fucking interesting to them, and they study what affects them. And you know, I have. Um, for all the women listening, you'll understand this. Like I've had chronic migraines my entire life, mm. and no one fucking knows. There's no solution to migraines because it's mostly women that get them. And unfortunately, most of the people that do research are men. So no one has made it a priority to try to solve for migraines because it just, I'm like, aren't you sick of your wife having a fucking headache? Like at least do it because right. <laughs> everyone's dated a woman that, I mean, maybe not you because you're a serial monogamist, but everyone's <laughs> has going to have a daughter or has a sister or something that suffers migraines. I remember going to the ER uh, in um, at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles. And I, I used to get these blinding migraines where the whole left side of my body would go numb and I couldn't see. And it was, um, it's actually been a really big part of, uh, yeah why I've gone the course of my life that I've gone. And, um, and I remember going to the doctor and going like, what causes this? And he just went, we don't know. And I'm like, what do you mean we don't know? So, so in terms of the epigenetic imprinting, that yeah. is something that is um, about what happens to a fetus in utero. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, I can say this as a comedian, there's a little bit of like, ew, that's a girl thing. We're going to go focus on, I mean, all these scientists are focusing on how to make people run faster. We don't, why do we need to run faster? <laughs> what the fuck are we doing? Why are all the good scientists wasting all their time trying to figure out how to get people to like, like be better at running and lifting? Who gives a <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what do we just take steroids? Like we have the fix for that. We <laughs> have a shortcut. Like why are, like, why did, what is this thing now where every, we're wasting our great scientists? Yeah on like performance enhancing mm. like creatine and shit <laughs> joe rogan is a very very good friend of mine but can we use the scientists for something else please um it's like okay well we're trying to turn everyone into david goggins all of a sudden like, no one no one's drafting you you're 45 you're not gonna make it into the nfl no matter how many huberman podcasts you listen to okay can we please figure out migraines <laughs> Um, well, duct so, tape works according to you, right? Like you travel with duct tape. That seems I travel, to help. Well, duct tape goes over all of lights, all of the lights in yeah. my hotel room. I have yeah. to, you really did a deep dive on me. Yeah, you um, even nail it if you're going to be on a long tour. I do. Oh my God. 
Um, so uh, I digress. Epigenetic game. It did kind of throw me. <laughs> You're like, you know, know too I, much, dude. Well, you know, you know what it is. It made my brain. I'll tell you exactly what happened. I just went, oh god, what else does he know? <laughs> <laughs> A lot. I overshare. I, Off I camera. Yeah. I am an overshare. If you know about the duct tape, you know about a lot yeah. of other things. Um, I'm glad you cleared up what the duct tape was for, though, because I could. Yeah, no, duct tape. We don't. We don't right. do sexual duct tape. Right. No. Um, Flight. I have a house. I don't do things like that. I'm. I'm a bottom. I'm a power bottom. <laughs> oh my god. Um. Uh. You know. The epigenetic imprinting thing was so fascinating to me because I'm, you know, now knowing that your fan base has a lot of women. And by the way, this whole like men, women thing is so ridiculous. Like mm -hmm. for the people that are men that are listening, you have a wife, you have a daughter, right. you have a girlfriend, you have a, you know, you have a mother, like this is yeah. important information for everybody. Um, I struggled for so long with this story uh, uh, that women are crazy and they're emotional and they're psycho and they're uh, mm -hmm. all these superpowers that we were talking about before have been pathologized into negatives bitches are crazy they're stalkers they're psychos it's like wait a second but they're also you mean the synonyms uh, hypervigilant sensitive like this is why our species is so successful because mm -hmm. these bitches were crazy back in the day <laughs> and they were like do you hear that noise let's get mm -hmm. the fuck out of here you know mm -hmm. so i'm obsessed with how we pathologize all these incredible yes. traits that we evolved to have to be excellent at surviving anxiety Anxiety is why we survived. Anxi I mean, imagine not having a, there was no one in tribal times when there was a lion 40 feet away that was like, guys, we got to fix this anxiety problem we have. Like, <laughs> no, like, get the fuck out of here. Like, anxiety is super useful. So I'm obsessed with that for whatever reason. And then um, I was a little bit obsessed with the, the ancestral trauma we carry, the things that we inherited honestly, and why... And just from a comedian brain, like when yeah. someone's like, that woman, that bitch is crazy. My brain would always go, that woman, that woman's dad dropped the ball. Like I always go to the parents and yeah. it's just a comedian brain thing where yeah. whenever someone would talk shit about their girlfriend or boyfriend, I would be like, you know, and my therapist trained me to do this too. She's also um, a big part of my 12 step program work where I would be like, complaining about somebody like this girl was gossiping about me and then she said all this mean stuff and she made a negative comment. And my therapist would go, sounds like she's in a lot of pain. And I'd be like, what? Like she just would never go there. She would always go to the root of the thing. So I'm obsessed with the root of the thing. And what's, um, what else, what's behind it, right? So yeah. all, if all anger is just sadness, why are we even talking about anger? Why do we ever talk about anger? Because it's all just sadness. It's crazy to talk about what it's been transmuted into because that's just, it's pointless, right? It's the shrapnel. So epigenetic imprinting I started learning about where essentially whatever neurochemicals um, a fetus was subjected to in utero, they will be born being addicted to. The same way, you know, we talk about quote crack babies, um, babies that are born being addicted to heroin, crack, whatever drug their mom was doing, you know, the neurochemicals we have in our brain, we call that the internal medicine cabinet. They're still drugs. Yep. Dopamine, oxytocin, adrenal, these are drugs. Yep. And if your mother, while she was in utero with you, was going through stress, I mean, truly every mother right now in a pandemic who's pregnant, I can't mm -hmm. imagine they're not producing adrenaline, cortisol. Yep. Um, your buddy Huberman can probably um, mm -hmm. speak more to this. Um, uh, and so I do know that my mother was in a chaotic situation when I was in utero. I was mm -hmm. not 
planned. Um, it was an acrimonious relationship and I was born addicted to cortisol and adrenaline yep. and I subconsciously would seek that out and have, you know, chaotic relationships. And, you know, learning about it really helped me forgive myself because I think Good. for the longest time I was like, well, I guess I'm just crazy or I have my pickers off. It's like, no, dude, I'm just addicted to these chemicals. And like yep. the good news is we know what to do. 28 mm -hmm. days, you can make a new neural pathway. Yep. It's going to suck for like 28 days, but yep. you can totally break an addiction. But I, I just, there's this over, I, you know, I'm, I, I love what you do because you're about growth and edification without over pathologizing people. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit in this like self-help life coach community mm -hmm. where I think there's an over pathologization and over victim self victimization where everyone has to have like a mental illness right now. Like yeah. everyone has to have like, like it, it's like they want it almost to be sick. You're right. <laughs> it's like, You're right. you know, cause look, it goes back to it gets you attention. It gets you followers. It gets you, you know, yeah. and I think that it's okay to be okay. Also, it's okay to not have had things be hard. It's okay to get better. You're so right. <laughs> but You're so right. You you can examine yourself without over pathologizing. I think it was just like, oh no, I was just born with an addiction to an addiction to adrenaline. It's not that I don't yeah. have to be, you know, clinically depressed or, right. or bipolar or schizophrenic or a suicide. Right. Like I don't have to be all those things. Yeah. Um, even though things were bad, they don't have to be worse. Are they di are they different now? Like, you know, you like in relationships, for example, for you. Really, I'm, by the way, I want to go back for a second. I'm really glad you shared that because. The more you understand about yourself, guys, the more you can begin to change things. And I love what you said about you don't have to suffer in extremes with these things either in order to just want to make some adjustments in your life. And one of the reasons I love watching you, hopefully I have a little bit of and this. And you don't is have like, to be defined by your trauma. It doesn't right. have to be your only identity. You know, I think it's, it's so exciting when you do unlock the reason you are the way you are. When you're like, oh my God, this isn't that big of a deal. My mom was just a malignant narcissist. But then you don't have to go around and tell everyone and re-embed the trauma and be defined by it and have it be the only. Be right, because identity. then everybody, that's when you begin to just operate out of memory and history. And your life becomes this pattern. Like there'll be some different external circumstances, but three more years later, you know, things are kind of like they were before because you're operating out of memory and history instead of imagination and vision in the future. And that sounds really corny, but it's an absolute fact. It's just being intentional. Like I'm yeah. going to intentionally begin to do this. There's a, it's one of the things I had a really, I know you'll know who he is, but I had a real blessing when I was young. I'm running on a beach in Hawaii. Like I won some little contest to go to Hawaii. First time I've ever been there. I'm getting up to run early. Wayne Dyer's running in the other direction in the morning. I don't know who that is. Oh gosh, you got to go look him up. Okay, Wayne Dyer is like one of the great all-time, I'll just call him a thought leader, thinker. But a lot of the stuff that I believe and that I teach and stuff was born out of him. Everybody should go look up Wayne Dyer. He passed away a few years ago. But he had this great book he wrote called The Power of Intention. I met him when oh, he was yeah. writing it. And I got to tell you, like self-confidence oftentimes for me doesn't come from like my ability to do something. It comes from my intention to serve. Like a lot of people, they're their self-confidence is contingent on performance. So it becomes this never ending loop of not having any. Mm -hmm. So if me achieving is going to have to be predicated on self-confidence, but I only get it by achieving, I never get there. Whereas at some point I just went, you know what? I'm a good guy. I intend mm -hmm. to do good. I, I intend to serve. I intend to make a difference. 
And I generate a ton of comfort and confidence from my intentions. Mm. And then I started to achieve and now I've got some experience and now I'm not operating out of memory. So that sounds real theoretical, but all of you just ask yourself, do I intend to help people? Am I a good person? I should generate confidence and comfort from that and not enough people talk about it. It's something that's really changed my life. I'm trying to put it in, in, um, uh, the way I would say that so that I understand it because mm-hmm. it took me a second because mm-hmm. yes, your, your mind is wild. Um, uh, I'm enough, Yeah, you know, and often our actions, you know, it took me a long time to realize that um, not taking an action is an action. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that's so yeah. basic, you know? but it took me so long that not saying something is a very strong uh, statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, because my, what we call a, a disease in program, I'm happy, I'm fine with saying that just because it is progressive. And if you don't do anything about it, it will uh, continue, um, is about taking an action and taking an action is a drug. It is doing something. You want to do something. You want to send that email. You want to, even, even if you're going to make the situation worse, you want to pick up that phone call, even though you have a pit in your stomach, you want to take that drink. You want to, you know, flirt with that girl. You want to DM that person, whatever the action you want to take to get that neurochemical drive and not doing something is oftentimes more valuable than doing something. Even if it's what you're saying, you know, we say in Al-Anon, don't just do something, sit there. And Mm. If you're doing something and your motive is to make people like you look, seem like a good person, how often are we doing things just because we want other people to tell other people that we did something nice? I mean, yuck, you know, and, or you're being unctuous. So when you say, I don't always have to take an action in order to be of value. It's like, sometimes we take actions for the wrong reasons and the wrong motives. And they make us feel like shit about ourselves because we know why we did them. Right. So it's like, Mm -hmm. for me, when I'm like, Oh God, why did I just go up to that person and do that thing? And oh God, I wish I had done nothing because mm-hmm. now that's going to corrode my self-esteem because now I know I'm full of shit because I did this thing for the wrong reasons. And now, you know, do you, so- do you, do you, do you ever get out of, sorry to interrupt you. Do you ever get no, out of, because like people like you and I that, I don't know, we're intentionally living. Like most people that listen to my show the way, like they're really thinking about their life and what it's going to mean and what they're going to do with it. Yeah. And, and I find there's a point where you can almost do too much of that. It's like I speak on stage and you're a comedian. So I don't know for you, but when I watch other people speak, I have a very hard time just simply enjoying them speaking because I'm watching them work. I'm breaking down. Well, I really like how they move their hands there. Wow. Watch how they use silence. Mm How cool. They're, they're a legit speaker. They use silence or their sentences are different words. So they don't have the same patterns or they change your eye line. And so I have a hard time. And I think in life, you know, all of you that are evaluating yourselves, you have to be careful not to be in constant analysis of yourself and just be sometimes too, right? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering how that's shown up for you. How are you different now at, in your 30s in a relationship than you were in your 20s with a significant other? How are you different that way? Um, that's a great question. I'm going to try to do my best to answer it. Um, I, I do really want to say, I do want to say real quick about what you just said, you know, my theory about why comedians are so miserable, you know, everyone says comedians are miserable. It's because we can't enjoy comedy because <laughs> we watch it the way you watch speakers. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I can't, I, I can't watch movies. I make movies. I can't watch movies anymore. Cause I'm too busy going like, Oh, the sound is off and the continuity is off and that extra. It, it, you know, it's like, 
I'm so overanalyzing it that the uh, I, I make escapist things for a living. Now yes. I can't escape because yep. escapist things are my job. Yes. And you I know? think that can, I, I got to tell you, Whitney, I think that can show up in relationships too, mm -hmm. where you're in the midst of analyzing it all this time instead of being in it and maybe yeah. even analyzing ourselves. Do you, do you yeah, agree? no, it's, 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 it's interesting, you know, it's, and for everybody listening, you're all, you're the chosen ones, you know, you're the ones that have chosen. Once you see yourself, you can't unsee yourself. Once you decide to be the awake ones, you can't go back to sleep. You know, you can't, um, you know, they say that the people that leave rehab that always relapse the hardest because they've gotten um, some knowledge they can't unknow. And so they have to relapse even harder. They have to do even more drugs because now they wow. have been enlightened. You know, you can't unknow something. You can unlearn, you can, you know, weaken a muscle or a, mm -hmm. a neural pathway, but there's kind of no going back once you've analyzed yourself, you know. Um, for me, I think what I will say is in my 20s, I was, you know, and I wrote about this in my book and, and people know this, like I was, identif I identify now as a, a love addict who, um, you know, which I'm not going to explain it well for all of you. There are people that talk about it much more elegantly than I will. But for me, it manifested in you put someone on a pedestal, you kind of ignore red flags, you project onto people, you're attracted to people who have the negative qualities of your primary caretakers to sort of, you know, uh, we call it unfinished business, you know, like the, the people that sort of poke at your invisible wounds and um, recreate your childhood circumstances so you can go back into that role and your inner child is kind of running the show and they give you that familiar blend of adrenaline and cortisol and insecurity wow. and you, you have to audition for their approval every day and you know it's it's they just give you drugs they make you you know restless irritable discontent all the things that give mm -hmm. you the adrenaline you need it's not real love i, I always <laughs> i always um want to get into the semantic argument i'm like it's not love addiction because it's not love so you can't call it love addiction you know <laughs> because that's not, not what love is it's you know and it's you're not operating from a place of choice it's making your life unmanageable you know you're in meetings checking your phone to see if he texted you know it's um uh, we, I like to define uh, addiction um, as the way it's defined in program. Um, you know, they say something that's making your life unmanageable, but also when it stops being a choice and when it stops being fun. Um, you know, we've all fell in love with people that we don't like. So that, that might be the biggest difference. I think, I think when I was in my 20s, I was in love with a lot of people that I didn't respect or like. I think I conflated love and pity. Um, big one. Um, I also, uh, got drive my self-worth from, uh, how useful and uh, I was and how much someone else needed me. Mm. I conflated codependence and interdependence. Um, mm. for those of you watching, um, I didn't make this up, but you know, um, Georgia, my, my therapist and 12 step, you know, sponsor, tells me relationships, uh, I'm holding my hands sort of right by mm -hmm. my, for the people listening, should look like this, should, they shouldn't look like this. Mm -hmm. So if two trains are on two separate tracks, they can go forever, but as soon as they move together, they'll crash, right? So she mm -hmm. would hold out her hand and say, if you hold something like this, if your hand's flat, if you hold um, a handful of sand like this, you can hold it forever, but if you hold it like this, you're gonna lose it. If you chase something, you're gonna chase it away. So it took me so long to understand only do 50% in your relationships. I thought it was, I was the person that was like, 
when you'd say, why did it end? I'd say, well, I just loved him too much. That's like the telltale sign of an unrecovered codependent, right? You think you're someone's mother, you're someone's psychiatrist, you're their financial advisor, you, you know, it's incest, basically. Um, I wanted someone that needed me, that was a mess. Like I, I, I had this sort of romanticized, very sick idea of what love was supposed to look like. Um, and I wanted it to be based in need. Uh, instead of want and uh, obligation instead of choice. And I was so afraid of abandonment that I would manipulate. I mean, this is sort of like the, you know, why, what I've been working on um, is not manipulating, beguiling, because this is what we do, you know, it's interesting. Like it took me a long time to realize, like, if you're not going to be authentic with somebody, you're, you know, all, all of this stuff you talk about, you know, service and, and giving and being authentic. If it helps anyone, it's, it's selfish. You win. You both win. Everybody wins. Because yeah. if I'm going to show up and be inauthentic and masquerade as someone I'm not and charm you and beguile you, and then let's say I get you, mm. and I'll always wonder why I have you. Well, is it just because I tricked you? And then I'm going to go like, I'm going to lose respect for you because I'm like, you fell for that? You know what I mean? So it's like you're, I would very much mm. show up as the person I thought they wanted, shape shift into what I thought they wanted, and then be angry. Codependence breeds resentment. Then I'd be angry that they didn't want my authentic self, but I never gave them the option to meet that person. Do so you know what I mean? So it's yeah, like, I do. I don't know that. I mean, we're talking like we're letting the world in here. I don't know that I still don't do that a little bit in my friendships. Yep. I still think I do that a little bit. I morph maybe a little bit more. And it's funny. I, I, I'm just thinking about it as you're saying it. Like, do I have any of that? Yeah, I do in my, some of my friendships. I think there's a difference between morphing and striving for harmony and choosing your battles. Like, it took mm. me a long time to realize that, like, authentic doesn't mean, like, combative. Mm. Like, because I used to just agree with whatever anybody said. It was like, okay, that's your opinion. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Or I would laugh at your jokes that weren't funny. Just anything to create harmony <laughs> and connection, right? Because mm -hmm. I just want to be loved by you and I just want us to be soulmates. Like, I just want us to be entrenched right away. Mm -hmm. Even though I already have too many friends and don't have time to see any of them. Why am I mm -hmm. trying to make new people fall in love with me? I don't have time for the people I have. And it's like being a hoarder or something. But Can I say something on that? That's a place to evaluate. Do you have any friends, I'm asking the audience, that like you've kept as friends, but yet it's like tons of work to be around them. <sighs> like, I have, I, uh, it's like five years ago. And by the way, I hope these friends of mine that we're not quite as close to don't assume it was them. But, but I was like, I really, I, I do laugh at all these things you say that aren't funny. And like, I am this version of me. I don't even really know or like when I'm with you yet. I keep seeing you all the time and I only have so many days left. And so I've done that in my friendships, exactly what you're describing. What would you want someone to do that to you? No. I mean, think about how insincere and hollow those lunches were to some extent. And by the way, they're not bad people at all. They just weren't the people that should be in my energy field at that time during my life. They Set just them weren't. Free. Set them free. Yeah. Like, that's the other thing is that, like, you know, give them the dignity of their own experience. Like, I don't like hanging out with you, but someone does. You know, like, <laughs> what is this? Why am I acting? You know, it took me so long to realize that 
friendships should not deplete you. You should not leave yes. feeling depleted. You should be able to leave at any moment. You should be able to cancel if you need to. You should be able to talk every three weeks if that's when you're available. They mm. should not feel like obligations. Like I have a job. I have many jobs. Like mm. it's taken me a long time to realize that friendships should not feel like work yeah. and I should not be faking it in bed or with my friends it's weird because i'm i was i had a joke something about like don't fake orgasms and then i found myself in a friendship like laughing at jokes that weren't funny and i'm like oh my god I, i'm <laughs> with friends this is so gross and like you know um we're dying also we're literally dying i i there's, there's no profound way to say this there's no science there's we're truly dying and i I, I do hope, you know, your listeners, it doesn't take losing someone mm. to get this kind of clarity, but I did lose my dad a couple years ago and I'm trying to figure out a way how to, to convey to people, get that my dad just died clarity now because it, people would be like, do you want to go on a hike? And I'd be like, no, thanks. <laughs> people like, do you want to get a coffee? I'd be like, nope. Like, I don't, I don't want to, I didn't realize how much I did out of obligation and uh, something that helped me, a tool that helped me was the answers usually no. Yeah. It's you, it's mostly no. And mm. I think that there's this, there's this, like, there was this like self-help thing for a while where it was like, just say yes to everything. And I was mm. like, what? Yeah. Like, it made me fucking crazy. I was like, <laughs> yes, say yes to a job before you're ready. If you think you're not ready, like say yes to taking risks. I know that this is a tricky territory mm -hmm. and neurotic people are going to like yep. get lost in the weeds here, but you know what I'm yep. saying? I do. The answer is usually no. You mm -hmm. have so much less time than you think you have. Mm -hmm. And anything that feels like an obligation that's not paying your bills, assume the answer is no. And then if you want to say yes later, you can always change your mind. Whereas I think we say yes and then go, I can always cancel later. Okay. That is one of the most awesome things ever said on my show never said on my show 1 billion percent endorse and is true I, I'm, I'm sorry about your dad and i relate i'm my dad's not doing well right now and uh been sick for a long time and, and not doing well and it's interesting that since he got sick which is about four years ago is when i've had this epiphany like when you're dying of cancer you don't have any time to be having lunches or conversations with people anymore out of obligation and it's like I've just learned the lesson and to Whitney's point, don't wait for some moment like that to just start, you know, live a little bit more intentionally, like be around the people and who also, feed your spirit. Would you want someone to have lunch with you because they felt obligated? I love that reversal. Like, no, how I'd I mean, be so yeah. embarrassed. Yes. Yes. If someone was having lunch with me just because they yeah. didn't have their priorities straight. Yeah. <laughs> You're wasting my time too. It's, it's, we think it's nice. It's disrespectful. You're wasting their time. It's like, you know, to your point about my relationships in my twenties versus now, I was the person that was like, Oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Like I'll just stay with them longer. You're that's the meanest thing you can do. You're stealing their life yeah. because you think you're quote being nice. Yeah. It's so the true. most selfish, rude thing you can do. Mm. And yeah, I think it took me so long. And, and I think just because your fans and you are so focused on tools, it's taken me so long to um, have pause. We're such go, go, go people, right? So okay. ambitious. I'm going to achieve my dreams. I'm going to get this. Boom. We're on email. We're fucking, you know, all your fans are very high functioning, yeah. you know, but we want to go, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. And we sometimes equate busyness with success. We equate really busy schedules with success. Um, 
get a couple catchphrases. I used to have them written in post-it notes on my computer of how to say no elegantly and how to stall and have pause. When someone asks you to do something, I mean, you went through this for a year with me probably, Um, uh, which is why it took me so long to get here with you because I want to show up fully and I don't want to disrespect your time by saying yes before I'm ready and before I'm fully capable of showing up for you in an optimal in an optimal way. If I did this even a month ago, I I don't think I could have been as, had as much wisdom to share with your your followers. Um, Saying no is selfish. It's actually the nice thing to do sometimes, but have, no is hard. I know, especially as women, we, we want to walk on eggshells. We don't want people to not like us. We think it's harsh. We're bitches. We're cunts, whatever that is in our mind. Um, You know what? I'm at capacity right now. Can I let you know in a month? Gosh. You know what? I don't know. I'm not sure. We're so programmed to think that it's a weakness to say you don't know something. Yeah. We're programmed to believe that we're like dumb or stupid or like we um, uh, think we're pariahs if we don't know something. I'm not sure right now. Can I please get back to you? Can I put a pin in this? Can we circle back in three months? Like just pause. We say yes too often and Mm. good people with good hearts go, well, I said yes to that. So now I have to do it. So true. Because you're a good person. Yeah, you're so right. And a couple of things about like the saying you don't know something like even in a from a business perspective, I always find I trust somebody more who says that to me than can answer every single question. I like when I ask you like three or four things, like one of them, you go, I'm not completely sure. Let me find that out for you. And I'm now like, I can believe everything else you said. I just believe the other stuff. And the other thing we equate to achievement guys is acquisitions. I've acquired a new level. I acquired more money. I acquired this new friend. The more we like acquire things. And I think to your point, sometimes it's the complete antithesis of that that would bring us more happiness, which is a little less acquisition of people, less acquisition of meetings, et cetera. So I love that. You know, so it's we powerful. This- yeah, less. And less. Can, I you, can, I tell, can I share this just with your followers really quick? Yes. Because And I think you might like it. Yeah. You know, because I think we are go-getters, we're the badasses, we're the type A, get after it, beast mode, you know, we're those people. Yes. There's this, um, I can't have a conversation with anyone on a podcast without bringing up animals. Um, yeah. And because we talked, the first thing I did after my dad passed was I was compelled to go to this uh, sanctuary called Wolf Connection in mm. um, right outside LA. Um, and there's a pack of wolves and they are all rescued from people that fought them, whatever, doesn't matter. And they'll have at-risk youth come and and work with them and communicate through them. And um, the first thing they ask is they say, which one is the alpha of the pack, of a wolf pack, right? Because they're all in, in yeah. you know, enclosures and one of them's digging and one of them's sleeping and one of them's shitting and one of them's barking and one of them's yeah. clawing and one of them's, you know, building and one of them's scratching and one of them's eating. Blah, blah. And they say, which one's the alpha? And you go, oh, well, the one barking. And they're like, nope. And they're like, shit. And they're like, oh, the one scratching. No. Oh, the one eating. That's the alpha. Nope. The one sleeping. The alpha sleeps. So more so is not good. better. <laughs> I knew I thought you'd like that. I thought so you'd like good. that. So more, good. the less you do, the more powerful you are. The oh more, my gosh. The more you're doing, you're actually the omega. You're serving other people. Oh asking, boy. Asking for help. Saying, I don't know. Have other people do your work for you. You mm. doing it all, you're just martyring yourself. So I'm gonna tell you how powerful this is. I'm in a little bit of a dark space right now because we just moved, right? My team. You are like, in a dungeon. You're in a. Yeah, I, they said turn the lights down, so they'll they'll fix a little bit in post. But so we've moved like just a couple times the last few months. I just want to show everybody this. If you're YouTube, I'm gonna I'm gonna be legit with you guys. If you can see this, see that? 
There's boxes. If you're on iTunes or Spotify, there's is that boxes. Where your protein powder is or something. There's protein, creatine, probably some of the steroids you listed earlier, but we're not going to go there today. Um, and what? Here's what's crazy about this move I've had. Any of you ever had this? By the way, we moved three weeks ago. There's still boxes everywhere, and we're where lucky enough. By I the have way, a couple am I allowed to ask help. what city you live in? I don't even I, know. I'm in Laguna Beach. Oh, nice. Doesn't suck. There's there's like an ocean one foot for me that could have been our background today where I do most of the interviews, but I chose the dungeon. But the point, guys, is there's boxes all over my house. And if you move like this, these are all acquisitions of stuff. I will probably never use any of the things in any of these boxes ever again, but I keep acquiring more things that I just move to the same spaces. Mm -hmm. And we do this in our life where it's more and more and more and more that mm. takes up all this space in our life. This is actually a really beautiful room if there wasn't all this shit in it. And this is a really beautiful life if you didn't have all these boxes of stuff and achievements and people that you really don't need to be there now. I think some things are good. And I think it's okay to say that. Like I do derive energy from things like sure. not not like like fancy things i mean you guys see the way i dress I, I shop at thrift stores and stuff i don't clothes don't do it for me purses and shoes but i love um animal statues like yeah. i collect animals like i think it's just having meaning in your stuff like i don't like shaming people that want stuff because i grew up without stuff i grew up poor and i like a nice thing no and i probably air i totally agree when i say no I mean no i don't mind you pointing that out it's probably important like if someone's only listened to one of my shows then i think what i'm saying really does need clarification if they listen to a lot of them they know oh, they know you yeah yeah but they no no but your point is well taken because i think when i first started on social media you know i didn't know what part of me i wanted to reveal and so you know, my, I'd always, they'd be showing my jet and all this stuff I had and people that knew me. In fact, once I signed with uh, management, they're like, it's really weird. Like you're nothing like what your social media looks like. And I, and so I think maybe I err sometimes the other way. Hey, if, if like having, um, and by the way, if it's expensive stuff and that's what makes you happy and you love that stuff, wonderful, go get a jet, go get a beach house. You and know, here's what I'll say. I think, want. I think what I'm getting to is um, be intentional about it and yeah. use it as a way to crystallize your work ethic or as gratitude. I think, you know, when I first started getting success, um, I didn't enjoy it. I felt um, scared it was going to go away. Yeah. I wouldn't spend money. Um, and that fear was thwarting me. So for me, sometimes spending money on stuff was my way of having faith that I would yeah. continue. It was a form of gratitude and a form of celebration. I just try to be really um, uh, meticulous about like, okay, I, I'm, I want this thing. I'm going to yeah. get it when I achieve this thing. Mm -hmm. And now like I got this rhino, this vintage rhino statue that I wanted. It's, I, I know I'm such an idiot. That's um, awesome. With my, and I was like, when I finish the script, I'm going to buy this thing that I want. And it's going to remind me of this thing I achieved. That's great. So I think I, I just, I love what you're saying because I think, don't spend money on mindless shit that's just going to be clutter and a yeah. future chore. Yeah. Like be mindful in how you spend and what you buy and make it have meaning and yeah. use it as a way to celebrate yourself and remind yourself of all the awesome shit you've done. No question. Like you've I done mean. awesome shit, dude. Like you're yeah. a you're a fucking maniac, dude. Thank like you. I, I do, you do have a bunch of fucking boxes all around you, but like, I hope you look at them and go look at all this shit I've built. I do. I think, I think, I think everything happens like in stages, you know, like you catch people at different times in their life. Like if we went back 10 years, like at that point in my life, 
I think sometimes we get filled with something and then there's another need. Maybe we're looking, it's not, by the way, there's nothing wrong with like pursuing significance. If by the way, what, this is something I, I was, I was interested. I was like, what am I, what is he going to talk to me about? I wasn't sure. Yeah. And I, I thought of, I, there's this shame. People have shit. All people want is success and then they get it and then they have shame around it. Post yeah. your fucking jet. What, why yeah. else? I'm not going to listen to you if you don't have a jet. Why am I going to buy a book from a guy that doesn't have his own jet? Like, right. I'm not going to, no. what, what, what do you think I'm going to follow a guy in a Ford Fiesta? Like what? I, 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 <laughs> You're right. I, there's validation to it. But I, no, 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 a hundred percent. Like I would have no followers had that jet not been on my stuff in the very <laughs> well, beginning. I would like, just okay, be like, so, why can't this? Why isn't this guy successful? Why am I taking money advice from a guy that doesn't have a no, jet? It's, it's. But I, I do think the needs change. I had a great uh, Rob Deerdick is a dear friend of mine, and we're business partners in a company. And when we met, we're talking about these needs you have. It's so awesome what you're saying this and. And I said, he goes, you know, man, when I was young, I was all about significance. I was a skateboarder. I was on TV and it was all about that. And uh, now I'm really into contributing. I said, me too, man. Like I've really been filled up with significance and you know, all that, but I'm a real contributor. We were at a Rams game once and he turns to me and he goes, can I just say something to you? I've been wanting to tell you this for two months. He goes, we're totally full of shit. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, we just get significance from contributing now. And that's okay too. Like he goes, I still get significance. It's just the same stuff that brings me that dopamine isn't what it used to be. Now, when I really help somebody, I feel I'm a little bit more significant. So mm -hmm. it's like stages of life is sort of, I think what you want. And like, I am proud that I have a jet. There's, I mean, like that's great validation. Same time, there's stuff in these boxes here that don't serve me anymore. And I'm never going to open them up again. I'm not even looking up. They're in the box. To your point, there's a poster right here of Maximus from Gladiator. My son's name's Maximus. Oh. My, my, we went into labor the night we watched that. Like that's mem like, of course I want to see that to your point too. It's be weird to anybody else. Why does a grown man have a gladiator poster in his office? <laughs> You'd be but surprised. it means something to me, right? So, <laughs> but I want to talk about your career really quick. We're going to go a little bit over if I, I won't be respectful of your time, but can we go a few minutes? Cause I want to ask you about this. Yes. But I want to say one other thing. Give me it. About the, your buddy and, and just your listeners. Like I, I really did want to make sure that I didn't shit the bed on this interview. Um, You're not. Awesome. Uh, just like, if you want to be famous, say it, it's yeah. okay. If you want to be rich, just everyone's like, want to accomplish their dreams. I'm like, you have to get, maybe this will segue into my career. You have to be specific about what you want. It's shame. It's shameful to say, I want to be rich and I want to be famous. But if you can't, if you can't acknowledge that you're, you have to figure out what the fuck you want to get and yeah. saying, I want a plane. I want to be rich. I want to be famous. Like be okay with saying that because there's nothing wrong with being rich or famous. Like there's this weird, like, yeah. if you've inherited your money, I probably have, don't like you as much. I like Me people too. that earn their own money. <laughs> I don't too. do well with, I, I don't do well people that were like born into money. We just don't, don't see either. the world the same. I don't same. know what it is. We don't see the world the same way. Yeah. You're like, you're probably a criminal and a con artist and you're, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's assumptive. Yeah. I'm just saying your parents yeah. probably made money in pharmaceuticals, like killing my family members. <laughs> like I'm sure, I'm sure I hate you, but if you have earned your own money, like there's nothing wrong with wanting to be famous. It's like, oh, yeah. she's just posting pictures of herself to try to be famous. Good. Famous right. means influence. It means power. It means I can go rescue more freaking elephants. I have no shame around wanting money and wanting uh, fame. And we have to get, we can't enter in this conversation about achievement and everything that you do while still having shame about achievement. Yeah, I think that's amazing. It's, if you'd asked me that on my show, the first person to point that out would be 
on camera most of the time and kind of in Hollywood, I would be very surprised by that, but I'm glad that it's you. And so, and I 1000% totally agree with you. Your career though, I want to just, I like, I'm, that's how I know you. And so I've watched your specials. I've, uh, you know, your show I watched them. I know you've had lots of shows, but I, I like I, from the very beginning, this is so corny. There's something about you that's inter connecting, interesting, energy transfer. There's something like I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that I'm even your de demo. I don't know. Like I'm <laughs> really familiar with you and I've, I've always been very fascinated with you. And that's why I wanted you on the show. It's the coolest thing, you know this, the coolest thing about having a show, once it does pretty well, you're like, I can kind of talk to someone I've wanted to talk to and know them. And, and so you've been that person for me and that you know this, it's not, I'm not just saying it to be nice. Like I've had enough people have to reach out to you and they're like, all right, I'll do it. So <laughs> I, um, you weren't like, and you've had a lot of successes. And I think sometimes when someone sees somebody that's, you know, had multiple successes like you have, you know, I think most people quit like they don't, most people don't quit the first rejection. That's not true. But most people do quit the second or third. So even most entrepreneurs, you know, it's, you know, it's not the first one if you want something, but it's like two, three, four. All right, I'm out. It's not meant to be. This isn't God's will. You just start thinking mm -hmm. these bizarre messages. Mm -hmm. And so someone like you that looked like an overnight success, who also, by the way, everybody, long statement, has been relevant a long time also. A long time. Tell us about it. Like, how many pitches did you have to do or pilots to get one show? I don't even know the answer. Yeah, I'm going to try to um, uh, be helpful and not too inside baseball. Um, I, I, when I try to, when I listen to podcasts about athletes or people that are not in my field and they start getting so inside and I'm like, you know, I'm going to try to keep it um, as relatable as possible. Um, first of all, I, I do have, I am a sadistic person and I do think that's part of it. I, I, I'm t I grew up being rejected a lot by my dad. I, I did. Rejection to me is I get off on rejection a little bit. It, you know, if you can wire your brain to do that um, or to just view rejection as like one step closer, every no is one step closer to a yes. Like I get excited when I get rejected because I'm like, oh, great. That one's out of the way. You know, like I get off on it. Like I just change the way I view it instead of rejection saying you give up. It's like, why give up now? I'm so much closer. It's like passing an exit when you're driving on the freeway. It's like, well, I'm almost at my exit. I just passed a bunch. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's how I see rejection. And that might be sick. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's also is rejection is, you know, this is something that they say in 12 step programs. Rejection is God's protection. Like being in a program for eight years, rewiring my brain that every time someone rejects you, like the universe is actually protecting you from something that you shouldn't be doing Whoa. and it's toughening you up i played sports i i you know very competitively played basketball my dad like there was no giving up you just don't give up like it was just not something i also you know i think that as you get older you a lot of the things that we think were abuse <laughs> sometimes are actually helping us like i had this epiphany recently um, my mom used to take me to work with her after school. I never got to go like hang out with my friends. I had to go, my mom uh, worked at Bloomingdale's and I'd have to go sit in her office and I was so bored and she was working and I would like sit and play with like safety pins and pens and like doodle and draw. And she would keep me there till like eight at night. And I was like so bored. And I remember being so 
angry that I didn't get to have like a normal childhood where I got to like play with friends after school. I had to like, I, I didn't have a babysitter because we couldn't afford it. And then I look back and I go, oh my God, I got to watch a woman at work. Mm-hmm. My whole childhood, mm-hmm. I was in a woman's office. Mm-hmm. That thing that mm-hmm. I thought was so bad for me God, was, so was building and uh, sketching the blueprint of what I think how a woman how necessary a woman should be in the world. She was running around. She wasn't paying attention to me because she was busy and needed. Mm -hmm. And I was learning that women should be needed and busy and they're important and they're vital. So it was like, whoa, it like blew my mind how my perception, sorry, shifted. No, one thing about that, and I want you to keep going, is that I'm a big believer, uh, the older I get, that a lot of the best lessons in life are caught, they're not taught. Just stuff like that. You just, you just catch things, right? Like I caught things. My dad's drinking. The biggest gift of my dad's drinking, because I was a real little boy, was I would have to read my dad at like four or five when he'd mm-hmm. come home. Yeah. Which one am I getting? Yep. Am I getting yep. happy dad who wants to play with me yep. or dad who wasn't so joyous, right? And that taught me this ability. I have very few gifts. One of my gifts is that I have empathy for people but also I read people pretty well. Mm-hmm. And I started doing it at four, five, six years old. I don't have an alcoholic dad. I don't have that necessity. I don't catch that skill set. And that empathy is kind of important because the combination of, I look pretty intense, right? And so the duality, the duality of maybe my personality and what I look like sort of serves me. Same with you, by the way. And so I just want to second what you were saying. I don't want to cut you off on going through no, your career, please. but I, I similarly re- respond the same way. And that's obviously true with you, with your mom. So that's, that everyone should be thinking of what theirs is as you're explaining yours there. So go ahead. Yeah. And I, and, 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 you know, yeah, exactly. And, um, and I think that we can all do this. We can all, you know, what if it's a gift? What if it wasn't that bad? What if, mm-hmm. you know, uh, after, you know, the, the way that my, um, sort of development has happened is it's been like, I was in complete denial of all the bad things that happened to me that I, that I was a kid. I was in denial. Everything's fine. Don't want to be a victim. Won't acknowledge it. All of my uh, maladaptive behaviors and armor were brilliantly working to make it so that um, I didn't have to feel any pain. And then I had to acknowledge what happened. A lot of bad shit did happen when I was a kid. A lot of inappropriate shit happened when I was a kid. I have to feel the feelings. I have to cry it out. And now what if it was a gift? Like, what if, why not, why not have it be a gift? Like, what if, what if, um, you know, uh, since we're talking about the career thing, the first kind of, um, the show that a lot of people, um, really responded to that I made, it was called Two Broke Girls. And it really resonated with people. And I worked with Michael Patrick King. He did Sex in the City. He did the comeback, you know, and we'd be working together and he helped me rewire my brain because I would go, well, you know, this will happen and then this will happen. And then he would go, or not, or like, or not. And Mm. sometimes for me, it's just, Mm. he hates me. That person doesn't like me or not. Mm. My childhood sucked or not, like just, (laughs) or not, you know what I'm saying? So uh, it's a, it's a, or, or these were all gifts and I just haven't unwrapped them yet, you know? So, so get, so acknowledge the childhood stuff, examine yourself and then move the fuck on. Close the book. You've read the book already. Why are you reading it? Why are we watching this movie again? We've seen it. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's like just about accepting and then releasing, you know, and not saying, staying stuck. Um, The career stuff, I had so many rejections, but also I never thought 
things were going to be easy. Like I, I do, I, I don't feel like I deserve a bunch of credit for being so resilient. Like my dad, you know, again, all the things that I thought sucked about my dad, I now look back and go, oh my God, that was the best thing he could have said. And even though at the time it felt like I wasn't getting the love I needed or wanted or saw in Disney movies or wherever I got my idea of what love is supposed to look like, he used to always say life's not fair. And he would do like crazy, crazy shit. Like we would leave an ice cream parlor and my ice cream would fall off. And he'd be like, well, life's not fair. We wouldn't go back in and get more ice cream. He'd be like, life's not fair. And I'd be like, oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. And he'd be like, well, you can eat it off the ground. And I'd be like, well, her, my, my sister's just still on her. And she'd be like, life's not fair. Like he drilled into my brain. <laughs> It, which today that would be like child abuse. Like he would like go to jail. He would be like publicly shamed on Facebook and people would find him and fire him from his job. But like he, he very early wanted me to know that life was not fair and that I um, don't deserve it all. And I'm not going to get everything I deserve. And so I never had that entitlement. Like I, I, before I had, um, got any a modicum of success. I had written, I want to say three pilots that didn't even get picked up. Mm -hmm. I wrote, I sold a pilot that got picked up that didn't go. I, I mean, I fail. I've mostly failed. Mm -hmm. It's just that my successes have been amplified. So people think I'm successful. I'm a giant failure. You just, you only know about the successes. That's all. First off, before I ask you the last question, I just want to say first, thank you. Cause I, I don't want to forget to do that because for me, like I have some guests on to serve the audience. And I have guests on sometimes like, I always have a funny feeling this person can help me. And you do. And, and you did. And you will continue to. And so hopefully I can reciprocate that somehow. Um, I really loved today. Go follow Whitney on uh, Instagram, guys. And then you'll see she's got tours coming up and other projects. And you can find everything on there. But I, I want to ask you last, if I can. The, I think mainly the people listening to this are trying to pursue a dream whatever it could be. It could be the entertainment business. It could be, it could be uh, entrepreneurship, you know, and they're an athlete and they're like, Hey, and it's COVID. This is difficult time. You know, there's all the strife in the news, Biden, Trump, we've got all these social justice issues we need to wrestle with and fix and improve. It's just a lot, right? That, and most of it is very worthy of our attention, very worthy of our energy, but also so is our own dream. So was our own life. So was our own self-care. What advice would you just give in general? Someone ran into you, they got three minutes at Starbucks and said, hey, I got a dream I want to pursue. You've obviously made several of yours come true. Mm. You know, what advice would you give me as I start to pursue this thing? Well, if people don't think you're crazy, we have a problem. Keep work so hard, people think you're crazy. That's when things started happening for me when people were like, Whitney's not crazy. Like, if if people think you're normal, then you're not working hard enough. I don't know. Like just, it just, does that make sense? Yes. Like, it's just like things should, it should feel uncomfortable. You should be uncomfortable all the time. Uh, you should feel like you're jumping off a cliff all the time or else you're not taking enough risks. Like you should be in a constant state of, holy shit, am I going to embarrass myself? Holy shit, am I ever going to pull this off? You know, you should always have that pit in your stomach. That anxiety we're all fighting. <laughs> you should have anxiety all, like if you're really going for your dreams. Um, you know, the other thing I would say is really, it's going to be very unoriginal. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal the serenity prayer from the 12-step program, which I say to myself all the time, because we waste so much time on things we can't control. 
You can't control the news. You can't control people's opinions on Twitter. You can't, we have this false sense of participation in life and society and progress and relevance and feeling like we belong or are doing something by just being self-righteous and indignant and fighting with people at parties over politics. Uh, it does nothing except um, stress you out uh, and weaken your immune system. It's not helping anyone. So the serenity prayer I go back to, it's very simple. Uh, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, um, uh, change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. So I, even if you're not in a 12 step program, I'm not saying go, get in one, it's free medicine. I love it, but grant me the wisdom to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. So figure out what you can control, what you can't control, write a list down. And if you can't control it, don't spend any of your energy on it. You'll wait, you're wasting your bandwidth. So good. I want to do it again. We'll wait a little bit and then we're going to have you on again because it's too good. And, and I also, do so if yeah. I may just really quick say thank you. Uh, you know, I grew up in a time and with a, a father that was a big, strong, man that couldn't be vulnerable or you know you talking about your feelings and emotions and insecurities and is gonna fix a lot of things thank you men feeling like it's it's you're a bitch or you're a pussy if you mm. talk about your feelings mm. is such a big problem mm. and so thank you for what you do thank you so cool you guys follow her and support her support her work and if you have you not had a chance to watch any of her specials or something just go do that right away. I'm <laughs> telling you, they're so good. They're on Netflix hey, and I have a podcast, the whole thing. You know, her you podcast know is awesome do. too. All right. Hey, everybody. I want to just remind you every day. I run the max out two minute drill on Instagram. Make sure you're following me there. Turn your notifications on. When I post, make a comment the first two minutes, reply to comments, do it every day. You get all kinds of cool stuff, including maybe flying on that jet we talked about earlier. And you might get a max out hat. Yes, please. <laughs> cool I need something to cover up this disastrous hair. Yes, please. I think the next time you see her, I have a hunch that it won't be pink hair and she's working on something new. So that's just another oh, reason Oh, and to also her. find me a husband. Thank you. Find her a hubby. I can help you with that. I'll do that. You? No, I'm talking to you. Okay. <laughs> I thought you meant like, a couple <laughs> million of you. Find me a husband. You get no, a lot of DMs. Your, your high achieving Laguna Beach friend. There you go. I think the DMs are blowing up for you right now. <laughs> All right, everybody. God bless you. Max out. Thanks, Ed. This is the Admiral Show.